taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana, in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, with yours truly, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. The word of the Lord comes to us today from Isaiah 44, verse 6, since this is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of Armies, says, I am the first and I am the last, there is no God but me. This, th- this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, and Curtis what is this thing? <laughs> well, he's flying a helicopter right about now. Yep. So, Magnum PI. You got it. <laughs> Man, I always love watching that show, too. It's a great show. <laughs> yeah, they don't have any good shows anymore nowadays. They're all just weird. And, yeah. Not like these ones, that's for sure. That is exactly right. Yeah, yeah, man. Some of the stuff they got to do, and he got to drive a Ferrari. That was pretty cool. That makes it even better. Plus, he had that cool mustache too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Oh my goodness. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna take a few seconds here, Brian. I want to just point out something that right now. From the day of resurrection, the day the stone was rolled away, Jesus has been on the face of this earth right now. So if you think about the timeline, think back how long ago is that, how long ago it was that uh, that the resurrection happened, right? And, and we still got more days coming. It, he was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, proving who he was teaching his disciples and walking through what <laughs> what was com- what was to come and what their job was to do i think i think we miss it when we say when when we don't um recognize the time i think last week you said that you that you have a cross out back in your yard and you and you hang different basically different materials over over the cross at certain times of the year and this time right now it it, it you've got a certain type that's on there it, and you think about it how long cloth. is that on yeah it's the white one and it white cloth and it and it's on there for 40 days i think having some sort of visual to remind us that he was on this earth after the resurrection is so important to to re- actually grasp the timeline of of what was going on. I mean, think about it. Were the were the disciples, you know, kind of getting back into the rhythm of of you know, getting up in the morning and going seeing Jesus, hanging out with him, doing the things that they're doing, walking the shorelines or what have you. I mean, were they starting to kind of get in the rhythm of that? And did the did the ascension did it take catch them off guard or was he preparing them through those 40 days and giving them this this idea that they're that he's going to be gone soon you know well i think it's important to figure that out absolutely curtis and and just to put in in perspective how long we're talking about uh the ascension day from easter 40 days the ascension day this year is on my mom's birthday may 26th isn't that amazing? So from Easter Sunday, April 17th to May 26th, that's how long a span we're talking about that Jesus was on the earth. And to put this in perspective a little little more, our last podcast of Season 5 will be on the last Wednesday, which will be on May 25th, the day before Ascension Day. So the, all the, the remaining podcasts we have of the fifth season are still going to be within the Easter season. It's it's crazy to consider. Wow. 
Yeah. That's crazy. And, and, yeah. be, and before we move Amazing. on, before we move on, I guess we need to make a, a, a quick little note uh, here for our, our listeners, just to let you know we're, we're kind of changing things up a little bit with the Bellator Christie podcast, and just don't want you, don't want you to be caught off guard. Uh, our season, we're, we've taken a seasonal uh, format to our to our podcast. This is season five. We're, we're going back from the from the years that we've had previous seasons where we've just continued it. You know weekly but you know it, it takes a lot to prepare these podcasts and and um, you know Curtis and I put a lot of study and time in, in preparing these podcasts and to keep us fresh uh, I, I feel that we need to take a little bit of break here and there and so uh, our seasons are going to last from October to May and so we'll take the month of June off and then through June, July and then part of August, we're going to have our second season of our uh, summer interview series. And then we'll be back with season six uh, starting in either late September, early October. More likely it's going to be in October, but somewhere we're, we're, we'll be flexible on that. Uh, but somewhere late September, early October, we'll start season six of the Bellator Christie podcast. So just know that if you uh, if you have a few months that we're, we're not active, we haven't gone anywhere, uh, we, we will be back. Uh, but uh, I think to keep us fresh and uh, to keep us focused, uh, I think it's good for us to take a little break here and there. And that's what this, uh, those breaks are for. Yeah. Well, so now we're digging into some stuff that's that's still to come. As far as Christ and and uh, what what has happened on the cross and what happened at the resurrection, now we're talking about getting into the messianic prophecies of the passion of the second coming of Christ. So this is part four of our messianic prophecies of the passion, and I I'm too boy I'm really excited about this, but. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. While it is not technically part of the second coming, Scripture places the outpouring of the Spirit with the end times events that accompany the Messiah. What does prophecy tell us about the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost? It, that's a great question. And one of the things, because here on the 50th day coming up, uh, a few few Sundays after uh, May 26th, we'll have the day of Pentecost on the 50th day from the time right. of Passover. And on that day, right. we and it's linked in with the Passion narratives because Jesus mm-hmm. anticipated, he preached, he associated the outpouring of the Spirit from what he was doing, uh, it was bringing about with those last days that he was on earth, death, burial, and resurrection. And the ascension um, even implies the outpouring of the Spirit. The ascension also implies the return of Christ to come in like manner, because if you remember in the book of Acts, it talks about the angels said to the men, uh, to the disciples looking up, just as you've seen him leave, he will come back again. And so there's a connection with the passion with the second coming of Christ, even though there's a span of time between between the two. Uh, so talking about Pentecost, we go to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And in this passage of Scripture, he, he links this outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, with the, me- the Messianic kingdom and the things that would transpire around the time of the Messiah. And he writes, After this I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity, not just some humanity, all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters, both men and women, will prophesy. And you're, Okay, let me just pause here and say, up before the time of Christ, the Spirit of God only came on prophets, priests, and kings on certain occasions when God needed to enact or do something. Think about Samson. The Spirit came upon yep. Samson on certain occasions um, to bring about certain acts. So you remember when he cut his hair, he broke that covenant with God. The Spirit left him. He was weak as any other man, uh, if not weaker. But then they put him between the two the two uh, posts in the temple, and uh, the Spirit came upon him, and he was able to break the pillars, and the temple came tumbling down. 
in this occasion, we see the anointed one who is Christ, Jesus, in Isaiah 61, talking about the Spirit abiding with him. That anointed one who has the Spirit abiding with him at all times in his fullness pours out his Spirit on all humanity. The sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days, servants in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors, the Lord calls. Now, we could even talk a little bit more about that escape, but we won't talk about that right now. But uh, what we do see is in verses 28 through 29, we see that God's Spirit is outpoured on all people, all people of faith. We see that God's Spirit in verses 30 through 31 is accompanied by great signs in the heavens, um, this this may be connecting with the eschatological events of the end times. Um, by the way, from the time of Christ, from the time of the Pentecost forward, we, we're technically in the end times, biblically speaking. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Uh, but then he offers salvation to all people in verse 32. Now, if we go over to Acts, let me pull this up, Acts chapter 2. I tell you what, why don't you read that for us, Curtis? Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Let's see, Acts chapter 2, yeah. verse 14 through 18. And this is after um, this is after the, uh, the 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 time there in Pentecost when when the spirit was being poured out and these people were were saying what are these people drunk what are they what's going on and so and peter gets up and he says and, and he's telling these telling these folks no this isn't what you're seeing it, it, what you're seeing is not it's 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 something bigger than that so here i go i'm going to read it uh Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So he's saying, hey, listen up. This is what's this is what's going down. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. We'll get into that in a minute. But this is what what was uttered. Through the prophet Joel, and then he goes on to say, and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. Even on male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they all shall prophesy and it will show wonder in the heavens above signs of the earth below the fire vapor smoke mm. so that spiritual outpouring came upon the disciples at pentecost and we still have that spiritual outpouring happening even today for those who call upon the name of the lord the spirit comes upon us and gives us spiritual gifts equips us to do the work of the lord and this isn't just on certain people the Spirit is poured out on anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. It's poured out on those who are of faith and, and, and anoints us, empowers us to do the work of ministry. And then to when it talks about the sackcloth and ashes, you know, we see that's talking about eschatological events. But then we see in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, Says that he, we see, he sees uh, John sees him opening the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. 
The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Now, there's a lot we can talk about here, but it goes on to say, Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free, hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand it? So, in a sense, the Spirit of God is kind of like the blood on the doorpost at Passover. Uh, he is that seal in our lives uh, that, uh, that when the judgment of God comes, uh, we are spared from that judgment that is to come because of, of being enjoined to the covenant with the Lamb of God, uh, with the things that He's done in that passion story, as we have that Spirit of God applied to our hearts. And so, uh, really, in a, in a manner of speaking, the the Spirit of God is that. Uh, well, Paul even mentions this. He's that. He's God's seal that we are saved. Uh, it really yeah. matches that whole Passover story quite well. Yeah. And it's kind of like that. It's like that, um, you know, the the guarantee that that we're gonna get more when it's when it's when we when we get to heaven. But it's it's the it's enough of a guarantee that we know that we are. Um, it's kind of like being betrothed, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's 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 like the agreement. He's he's poured out his Holy Spirit, a portion of it on us as a guarantee as a stamp of approval saying yes these are my children and then then when we become the bride when we or we are the bride when we we go to him we then are given the rest of it Mm -hmm. as a bride price Mm. good stuff and this actually also matches what isaiah tells us in isaiah chapter 44 uh, we read a portion of this uh, at the outset of the podcast, and, and he, he speaks to Jacob, his servant, Israel, Israel, whom I've loved. This is the Lord, the word of the Lord, your maker, the one who formed you from the womb. He will help you. Do not fear. And he goes on to say in verse 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will sprout among the grass like poplars by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another one will say, The name of Jacob. Still another one will write on his hand, The Lord's, and take on the name of Israel. And look what he goes on to say. He says, I am the first and I am the last. There's no God like me. Uh, In verse 7, he says, Who like me can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Uh, And so here again, he, he goes on to say, Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I know not any. So the most important part here for our purposes uh, in verses 3 through 5 is where God says that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and this accompanied the work of the Messiah. This came through, uh, came about because of what Christ did on earth. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> all of this stuff has been spoken of in in plain words um and in types and shadows and in uh, a spiritual connection all the way through the scriptures from beginning all the way through it just amazes me and, and here again this. and here again curse before we move on i need to say one more thing here anyone who thinks that, Re- that the book of revelation is not rooted in scripture in the old testament needs to think again because look at what he said in verse six I am the first and I am the last. What does Jesus say? I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the first, the beginning, and the end. This came from Isaiah. You know, Jesus obviously said it in this vision, and this, uh, I think it was something comparable to a near death experience, quite frankly, this visionary experience he had. But, but in other words, he is saying this I am the Alpha and the Omega, but he's alluding back to Isaiah 44 when he says that. <laughs> so here we go. We're gonna get in. We're gonna get in the book of Daniel. Now, <laughs> we don't want to dig too deep, but we're gonna try to 
wade across this. Maybe maybe run across the pond a little faster. Maybe <laughs> that, sure. that works. I don't know, get get stuck get stuck in the cattails. I'm trying. so so here. What does Daniel say about the second coming of Christ? Oh, there's a lot. There is a lot that can be said about the second <laughs> coming of Christ. The whole Son of Man motif that we see in um, in in Jesus's teachings. Quite honestly, the amazing thing about the Son of Man, uh, the Baranash in the in the Aramaic, uh, we only outside of two references, we only find that title used by Jesus of Himself. Sometimes the title is used uh, as a, as a means of referring to Himself, saying "I," um, but a lot of times He uses it to to reference this 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 individual this mysterious individual in Daniel 7 and uh, he especially 13 and 14 and he says I continued in the night vision says Daniel and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven he would approach the ancient of days so he's able to approach the ancient of days who is the ancient of days that's Yahweh that's God Almighty Yahweh Yahweh yep. and it was escorted before him no one else could go up to, to, to this great God, yet he had open access to do so. And this Son of Man, one like a Son of Man, the Baranash, was given a dominion, a glory, a, and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, an everlasting kingdom that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So, we see that this one like a son of man comes. He performs the things that happens in the first uh, advent of Jesus. But notice what Jesus does with this passage of Scripture. When he is approached by the high priest, the high priest asks him plainly, Are you the Christ? And Jesus says, You shall see the Son of Man descending on the clouds of glory. And he's pointing to this figure. Now, Here's the thing we have to understand. The high priest knew what he was saying and the reference he had. He wasn't dumb. He knew exactly what he was referencing. He's referencing Daniel 7, 13, and 14. And what did the high priest do? He tore his robe. Tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. And he did so because he was so indignant because of what Jesus said. And he recognized. Tore his clothes yelling blasphemy. Yeah, and and declaring declaring judgment on that that's essentially what 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 was going on there is priests is declaring judgment on on Jesus at that moment. Absolutely, but but here's here's the thing to remember: there's some people who think well, this son of man figure only references the people of Israel. Not so. The high priest would not have had that reaction as he did if right. he did not hold this figure to be a messianic figure who held his divine relationship with God himself. He knew what Jesus was saying, and it was evidenced by him yep. ripping ripping, and, and casting judgment as he did. Now, that also leads to another thing coming up in, in Daniel chapter 12. He says, at that time, Michael, who is Michael? Michael is one of the two archangels listed in Scripture. Now, there's some extra-canonical materials, and really more of a pseudepigraphal uh, materials that mentions that there may be as many as seven. Now, the Apographa mentions, I think, an additional, they mention four, but there's an additional three mentioned in First Enoch, uh, which would make, would round off, if that's true, would round that off to seven archangels. And you have to kind of think that maybe there may be some semblance of truth to that, since seven is a divine number. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. But we see that Gabriel and Michael are the two archangels mentioned in uh, Scripture. Michael is a defender of God's people. Uh, he's the great prince who stands watch over your people will rise up. Okay, there will be a time of distress as such as never has occurred since nations came into being into that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Okay, will escape. Many who sleep in the dust. Okay, this is talking about death. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, will awaken. Some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Now, Jesus mentions that there's going to be a separation of the sheep from the goats. 
there's a little bit of telescoping going on in this passage of Scripture. And he talks about those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we see that even though uh, Michael is referenced, he's pointing to a time that the king of the ages will come. That Christ will come. He's accompanied by the archangel Michael. He's going to come, and when he does, he's going to uh, to enter this when there's a great time of distress, and he's going to resurrect some to eternal life. Now, I believe that there's going to be a that this that this resurrection that happens is going to be a, a double resurrection. I think he's going to resurrect the people of God first. I think there's going to be some political maneuvering that happens afterward, and then he's going to come and he's going to uh, raise those to uh, to eternal contempt here at a later time. Because I think there's going to be two sets of judgments. The one set of judgment is the great white throne judgment, and if you read that passage closely you see that only those who are condemned, who do not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are judged at the great white throne judgment. Those of us who are in Christ, we're going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we're told that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all the things we've done in the body of Christ will be tested, and those things which are wood, hay, or stubble, will be burned up, though we ourselves will not be burned. But those that are that are rock, are stone, and are gold, those things that are enduring, they will survive the testing and will be offered to us back as rewards. We see in verse 3 of this passage of Scripture that those who have these rewards will shine like a bright expanse of the heavens. Uh, they'll shine like the stars forever. In the Moody Bible Commentary, they they mark that uh, remark that Daniel twelve two gives the clearest description of the end time resurrection of any passage of scripture found in the Old Testament, and I think they're absolutely right. Right. Yeah. What a glorious day! You know, think about the think about that. How all the way through, you know, um, in. In the book, in the books that Paul wrote, in all of his writings, how much of that was he pointing back to this, or was it an idea that he was just aware of, and he was actually polishing and 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 making that known a little bit more? I guess that's kind of my question. I, I think it's both because Paul was a Pharisee, and and the thing the thing we have to understand Good is point. the the whole aspect of end time resurrection was not something that was unique to the Christian movement because um, the Pharisees and the Essenes both held strongly to a belief of the end time resurrection. And, and, you, and we see this evidenced in John chapter 11 where, where Lazarus had died, been dead four days. And Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. And she says, well, Lord, I know he's going to rise again at the end times. And he said, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, that, that he has the power over resurrection and he has the power over life. And... Um, so he makes that connection. What Jesus did is to clarify the connection made with the Shaliach of God, the, the emissary of God, who was the Messiah, and uh, the, the ad, advent of the kingdom and the advent of this new life. So the resurrection became a reality through his own resurrection that happened on Easter Sunday uh, or Resurrection Sunday. So anyhow, uh, the, the belief was there. But what Jesus did is he is he... He polished that idea. Paul, being a Pharisee, uh, which, by the way, he wasn't the only Pharisee who followed Jesus. There were many Pharisees who followed Jesus. Yep. It's a misnomer for us to believe that that none of the that all of the Pharisees were opposed to Jesus. No, the vast majority of people who followed Jesus early on were were probably in the sect of the Pharisees. Um, some may have been Essenes. I think there's evidence to show that some of them may have been identified with the Essenes, but uh, the vast majority of them were were, uh, were Pharisees or had been Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. He had this belief in the end time resurrection. So 
I, I, again, to your point, Curtis, I think it's both. I think he, he got this. He had an understanding of Daniel 12. He understood the end-time resurrection. But Jesus clarified a lot of stuff, not only for Paul, but for all of the disciples as to what this entailed and what this meant. Yeah. Yeah, so what you're saying is is even Paul was using the Old Testament Oh, absolutely! You can't unhitch the Old Testament. <laughs> it, it's impossible. In fact, you know, I've heard people say yeah. before, and, and this is an ongoing thing, and it really drives me nuts, um, that you hear people make this bifurcation of God, as if God is mean and mean, nasty ogre in the Old Testament and a kind, loving God in the oh. New Testament. And I've heard this from more than one person. I've heard this numer- on numerous occasions. And it's just simply not the case. I, I was actually telling one person no. uh, who, who brought this up, and I said, well, go back and read the book of Hosea. That's a clear depiction of God's grace with what God commanded Hosea to do with his wife, Gomer, who was uh, who, who cheated on him. He could have easily cast her aside and had nothing to do with her, but she repented no. of her sins and came back to him. And that whole relationship between Hosea and Gomer was a metaphor with God's own relationship with the people. And it's, his, it's a metaphor for his relationship with all of us because we've all gone astray. We've all messed up. We've all done some bad things in our lives. But God graciously welcomes us back every single time. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing to consider. So, I mean... If God was a mean, nasty ogre, then the great flood, he wouldn't have spared Noah and the family. He would just let all humanity die. Uh, he, he would just easily have wiped out humanity after Adam and Eve committed their sin mm-hmm. in the garden. Um, I think time and time again you see God's graciousness and faithful love throughout the New Testament. I mean, and, and Old Testament as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you read the book of Psalms all yeah. the way through. You, you, that's what you see. You, you see how people have have strayed, and they see God's, uh, um, you know, basically his his grace, his concern for them, it, all the way through. You you see it in all sorts of um, avenues along the way. Um, yeah, man. So what does um, Zacharias say about the second coming of Christ. We've actually kind of read this already, uh, but w- w- it just deserves to be mentioned one more time. In Zechariah twelve ten, uh, here again he talks about pouring out his spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Many people believe that this is a twofold prophecy. That on the one hand, it prophesies people seeing Jesus whom they pierced in the mourning that happens on the day of crucifixion. But many many people also believe that there may be a, a dual prophecy in the sense that not only is it talking about that, but it may also be talking about the fact that that all people will, will look on the one who was pierced when he returns, and those who didn't repent of their sins will mourn exceedingly, mourn realizing the fact that he is who he said he was and came to fulfill the, the prophecies of God, even bringing his church home. Hmm. Important stuff. So then what, what does Scripture say about the judgment that the Messiah brings to the world? Well, here we there are many passages of Scripture that we could mention here, but just to keep things simple, uh, we go to uh, Psalm um, Psalm nine, verse seven through ten. And Curtis, would you like to read that for us? Sure. Before I do, though, I, I do want to say when people when people combat that and say that that. Um, in the Old Testament, God is an evil ogre and just grumpy man and so on and so forth, right? I always ask, have you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. 
I think it you was, know, I think it was I mean, Doctor Yates who mentioned something exactly like what you mentioned. He's an Old Testament professor at Liberty, and I think he's the one who said it. And if, and if I'm wrong, you know, correct, correct me in the comments when we post this. But I remember someone said it, and I believe it was Doctor Yates who said that really he sees the opposite in the Old and New Testament. Yeah. Because he said yeah. in, the, in the Old Testament, you see God is gracious, he's patient with people. But in the New Testament, you have revelation where he's given people, everyone, a chance to repent and, and to get in this new covenant. But if they don't and they die without receiving, that's it. <laughs> Game over. And then yeah. revelation, you have wrapping everything wrapping up. Yeah. I mean, think of the imagery, okay? When, when the disciples... When the disciples were talking with Jesus, when he was teaching them, and he gave them a parable about the the weeds or the the wheat and the tares, and, and and what does he say? He says, "No, no, just leave them be until harvest." Yeah, because you're gonna if you if you pull the tares out now, you're gonna rip you're gonna rip the good roots uh, of the wheat out of there. But when the time of judgment comes, they'll be cast onto the threshing floor. Mm-hmm. They'll be thrown into the fire. And I, it's just like, do you really realize what, what Jesus was saying right there? He might not have just been saying, you know, um, very directly, you know, there's judgment going to be there. But he's implying that there's going to come, it's going to be a violent judgment. It's, it's going to be a judgment that nobody wants to be involved with. There's going to be yeah. no one that wants to be there. And, and understand here, too, it's in Ezekiel that we get a glimpse at God's heart, where God says, mm-hmm. I believe it's in, was it chapter 19, I believe, uh, chapter 14 or 19, where God says it's not his desire to bring judgment yep. because he would much rather have people repent and not bring judgment, but because he's a righteous, holy God, when you have people, right. I mean, just look at us as human beings. Right now, we're on the cusp, uh, uh, or at least the, the talks are, of a possible nuclear war going on. Uh, it, you know, hopefully, we pray that that doesn't happen. Uh, but without the presence of God, by the way, I was listening not long ago about how we have come so close to nuclear wars and without even realizing it. There have been false alarms that's gone off that where people have had yep. their finger on the button ready to launch. Yep. But something yep. happened where they realized, oh, that was a false alarm. We have come so close so many times we didn't even realize it, that God has been yep. sparing us. But if God removes his presence, mm. humanity will destroy itself. Yeah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. I Absolutely. Jeez, <laughs> you know, I mean, just uh, just all of that, all of that together. Anyway, sorry about the sidetrack. I'm going oh, no, to get back to reading Psalm, <laughs> Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse 7. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. Hear that? Righteousness. Mm -hmm. He judges with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you before you O lord have not forsaken those who was who seek you mm. wow powerful amen amen and you know the, the thing we need to look at here in this passage of scripture is th- three things god and he judges he judges righteously mm-hmm. he, he judges with equity you know, we, we hear a lot about equity these days, but understand, God, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not a Calvinist, and, and it may be it's a subtle reason we find throughout the pages of Scripture, and that is God is no respecter of persons. Right. So the whole notion of, of choosing a few here, and, and it seems to go against that whole aspect of the equity of God. He judges with righteousness, he judges with equity, and in God... He is a refuge for those who are oppressed, those who have been forsaken, those who were weary and heavy laden. What does Jesus say? Come unto me, mm-hmm. you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We see the same thing in Psalm chapter 9. So the Messiah brings just judgment 
to the world. And folks, I, I want to say one of the things I've been noticing, observing the past few years is that as Christians, it seems like we have kind of a laissez-faire idea about righteousness. If uh, something happens, we'll simply say, well, we all make mistakes, God forgives, and so let's just not make a big deal out of it. Mm. Understand, sin is a very big deal with God. Yes, He forgives mm. us. Yes, He's willing to, to for, forgive us and, and put us on the right path. But don't think necessarily that just because God forgives that He's going to necessarily remove the consequences of our actions. Um, so, so in other words, yeah. if you drive drunk and you kill someone on the highway because of your drunken stupor, God may forgive you for that, and you may be able to, to reconcile with a family, but that doesn't mean he's going to bring that person back to life here on this earth. So right. Right. sin is a very serious thing. We've got to take it seriously, and we can't just, you know, just, just throw it away as if it's nothing. So he's going to judge with righteousness, equity, and he's going to be a refuge for the oppressed. And let's see also Acts chapter 17 uh, verse 31. I'll get this pulled up here for us right quick. Acts 17. I will, I will say, though, I mean, just like what you were saying, he's he judges with the righteous judgment and so on. And like what you were saying, people go on kind of ho-hum about their sin. But it says in the book of Jude, have you read the book of Jude? <laughs> it says, I mean, dude, it says... Woe to those, essentially, is what it's saying. I'm paraphrasing. Woe to those who who make a, a mockery of God's grace. Amen. Because essentially, what he's what he's saying in there is, you know, they do all these things, the lust of the flesh, and they do they do the things that are are separating them from God, and they're making they're 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 making basically light of God's grace. They're they're just saying, well, God knows my heart. How many people do you hear say that nowadays? <laughs> yeah. God, God knows my heart. God knows. God knows where I'm at with that. God knows our heart. That's exactly why we need salvation, because He knows our heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Book of Jude is like, whoa. There's some pretty serious stuff in there, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and here we go with Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. We'll, we'll back it up to read verse 30. Um, I think this is the yeah. This is where Paul was speaking uh, to the uh, people at the Areopagus in Athens, and uh, he says he says this. Therefore, God, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere. Did he really say that? Do we really need to go into all, that? Does that mean? All and everywhere? All people everywhere. I didn't even pay attention to that until we just read it down. God now (laughs) commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Who is the man? Jesus. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is proof that he is exactly who he said he was, and that he is going to come again to um, to judge the world. Now, this isn't the Old Testament, but this is a New Testament prophecy showing the fact that because Jesus has risen from the dead, he will come again and judge the world with righteousness, equity, and, mm. and being a refuge for those who are oppressed. Mm. I think that's... I think that's one thing that's important is is to understand that even though God's judgment is involved with the second coming, he still provides a way for people to have a refuge, way for people to be hidden under his wing. You know, he talks about that in in in, in the Psalms, talks about, you know, God being like a being like a hen, you know. And, and putting putting his believers under his wings, you know. Is that Psalm ninety one? I think. Them. Yeah, I think it's Psalm ninety one. It's amazing when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. You cover us with his wings. God's not a bird. He doesn't have feathers. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have feathers. It's... <laughs> you got to be careful nowadays, man. 
you know. <laughs> so, so you say that God doesn't self-identify as a bird. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But this is probably one of the times it's probably good that we live in different states because I have a feeling Curtis would have thrown something at me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Does the scripture scripture say anything about the relationship between the Father and Son in eternity? Curtis, I, I, I'm going to give you the privilege if if you uh, are so willing to uh, read Psalm 110. Um, let's read verses one. Ah, let's read the whole thing. Uh, okay. This is a this is a psalm that is heavily quoted in the New Testament. Heavily quoted, especially the first few verses. So Psalm 110, and it says a Psalm of David. It's the heading. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, send forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb in the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> After the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. There it is. Mm-hmm. And he will execute judgment among the nations, fulfilling or filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Let's do it. Let's do it. There's there's another psalm that came comes to mind, and I read this in the devotion, and I cannot get this out of my head. Mm-hmm. Because when we think of we we think of Christ coming with a sword in hand and slaughtering. No, no, it's not going to be like that. I don't think it's going to be like mm-hmm. that at all. Let's take a look at Psalm 29. Psalm 29. And, and I'll go ahead and read the first few verses of this. Psalm 29. And like uh, like Psalm 110, is the Psalm of David. And just listen to the sheer power of God. And this is talking about Yahweh here, the, the Father. Uh, but, but still, he's coming with the, the Lamb of God, with the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Just listen to this sheer power. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings... That's talking about angels, heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. Now listen what happens when the voice of the Lord works. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon just by simple, simply His voice. The Lord makes, he, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Syrian, okay, Syrian, uh, I, I, this is, uh, well, some people have this as Mount Hermon. Uh, some people have it as uh, different things. So, Syrian, like a wild ox, the voice of the Lord flashes, flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood the Lord sits enthroned, king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace just by the simple word, by the simple voice of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mountains shudder mm. and shake. Uh, cedars are broken in two. Nations are moved just by the simple voice of the Lord. And that is the sheer power that's yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the very one that spoke and said, 
Let there be light. And there was Just, light. Yeah. It's not like it had to be thought of. Well, let's you know, you know, there's this that needs to happen, and and this needs to glow at this rate, and this needs to have this kind of power, or whatever. It's just everything that needed to create light happened at that instant. They spoke it, and we're still to this day Out. trying to figure out what God did just by the simple voice, by, by simple spoken voice. We're still trying to figure out what He did. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because it, it look it says um it says what where was it? It said uh the voice of the Lord is over the waters. What does it say in Genesis in Genesis one? Mm -hmm. It talks about hovering over the waters. It was hovering it was it was it was over the top of the waters. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, then John goes into starts off his gospel with in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Mm -hmm. And the word was with God. And there wasn't anything that wasn't created through the word. Absolutely. That's powerful. Absolutely. So so as we conclude our series here, Brian, on prophecy, what do you take from the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and what can we take from this as we face uncertain times? And I'm kind of I've got a few comments, and I'd like to get your insight on this too, Curtis. Uh, there are three things that that came to my mind. Number one is that God is faith, faithful uh, to His promises. When He says something, you don't have to wonder. If he's going to come through, it's just a matter of when he's going to come through, and um, and that happened. You know, there are many people who were wondering when the Messiah would come, and 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 he came, and he fulfilled. I mean, we we have a, a good case study on how God fulfills prophecies in and through Jesus, because we have the prophecies there. We see how God fulfilled them to even to the nth degree. Secondly, we see that God is just. And he will bring fair judgment. I mean, he's merciful. And, mm -hmm. we can, that can even be a right. third point there as well. Uh, God is just and will bring judgment. He's also faithful. He's also merciful in the fact that he's given a way out. I mean, the passages we've read, we see that God provides a way out. He's, he's provided a way out through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we can trust God with our lives and even our future. I, I'll be honest. The things that's going on in the world right now are scary. They're very frightening. Uh, you know, there had been talks about a possibility of a World War III for, for many years. So, I mean, at least, if nothing else happens, we, we have at least entered into another Cold War uh, like happened yeah. back in the, in the 50s and 60s and even in the 70s, I believe, to a degree, uh, where there was that worry, that concern that there could be a nuclear war. We've, we've reentered that phase now with the way things are going on. Um, could some of this be a bluff? Well, it could be, but you just don't know. I mean, anytime this mm -hmm. this language is used, you have to take it seriously. So, you know, we've, we're facing some very precarious times right now, um, but it's important, especially with the uncertainty of the times, to remember that God's in control, that God is faithful and just to fulfill the promises He's given us. He's faithful and just to fulfill the prophecies that He's provided. And just as we see that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of His first advent, He's going to fulfill the prophecies that that uh, that's accompanying that will accompany, excuse me, uh, the the second advent of Jesus. And so we we can trust God. He is faithful. He is worthy of our trust. And I think if we uh, focus on God during these times, we'll be a whole lot better off than we will focusing on the news uh, and, and the things going on in the world. Not that those things aren't important, because they are. They're very important, and I'm not making light of that. But ultimately, uh, we, we have to remember who's in control, and that's God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think, I think one, thing that I, one thing that I get out of out of this 
whole series and and just seeing the prophecies coming forth is you see the consistencies of the promises the the that god is god promised these things are going to happen they've come true you know they may not look like we expect them to look they may not be what we expect them to be um but when we look back after we've after it's happened we look back and we say Oh, that's what he was meaning. That's what he was doing. Um, the other thing is, is they may not be in the timing that we would have expected. It's God's timing, and, and it's His judgment. He's waiting. It was it say in uh, in in Revelation. It says He waited for their their cup to be filled, to be fully filled, and that and that's like you know when you fill your milk glass too full, and it's like. Don't breathe on it because it's going to go over. That's that. That's the idea that it's that it's it's at a point of surface tension that any little thing could could overflow, and that's when God pours it out. That's when God pours out His wrath, and that's that's amazing to me that that He's waited that long to do that. The other thing is is um, some of the prophecies. We've seen partial fulfillment. We've seen, you know, um, a uh, now and kind of a deal. Like we, like we've talked, you know, uh, he's 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 done done something now, but it's going to be fully fulfilled, you know, coming coming soon, coming again. Um, I think those are things that that give us hope and give us seeing the consistencies. The way they've been allows us to have the surety that God is going to fulfill the end prophecies that He's already proclaimed and is going to do. That should give us um, a little uh, a little pause, maybe, of like, oh, you mean God's judgment is coming? But it also should give us that hope of God's judgment is coming. Absolutely, powerful stuff. And so we, we can yeah. kind of be like Habakkuk. So what, a, what, a, what a series we've had. We can kind of be like Habakkuk, and despite the difficulties we see, and you know, kind of sitting and 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 being on the watch, <laughs> being on the watch, knowing that God's going to yep. come and He's going to bring yeah. salvation for His people, but judgment against the the global authorities, and 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 even it's occurred to something you said earlier. I don't remember if it was in the podcast or beforehand that the fact that God sees all. He's able to know the hearts. He's able to know the minds. Mm-hmm. He's able to know every single detail about everything. He can provide a just judgment at that, too. Mm. And nothing's done in secret yeah. that God doesn't know. Yeah. And I and I just want to say before I close out here, may we be a church that is like the bridesmaids that have their have the wicks trimmed and are prepared ready for the coming of the messiah coming of Amen. the bridegroom that we look upon each day the scriptures we look upon that glory and that hope that we live in as a future hope that folks realize christianity is not built on a on false pretense it's not built on something with with an ideology it's it's actually built on truth that we've we've had consistent things happen and we've had pictures pointed to us or pointed out for us that we live with expectation that god is going to fulfill the rest of these things we may look baddie to the to the outside world but really when we're on the inside of of christianity looking through the the scriptural lens the world looks baddie <laughs> you know Absolutely. so take take faith take take your faith know that it's solid know that it has a good base on you know under scripture and and we got a solid rock to stand on and we here at bellator christi want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Delta Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends.
been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Thank you.